Here we go. Week three, what do you believe? If it's your first time here or it's your first time back in a while, um, I'm going to be real with you. you. You've missed quite a bit in the last two weeks, okay, that I'm going to have trouble sort of catching you up with. But uh, I believe that, that everything that we talk about today, you will have some good context. I'll be able to kind of plug some things in um, to where, you know, you'll feel like you're, you're pretty caught up. But I will say this, even if you're, you're from Northwood, you've been here a while, if you've missed one of the, the previous weeks, I would encourage you to kind of catch up, to keep in, involved in what's going on, because each week sort of does build on itself. And I think it's just important that we all have that, that general understanding of what we're talking about. Um, I don't know if you're a big like podcaster, maybe, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it'd be good just to kind of, you can go over to the church and you can go and subscribe to that podcast in case you miss it. You can put me on 1.5 speed, all right? You can speed me up. If it's a 35-minute message, it might get you down to like, what, 25, 20, 25 minutes, you know, kind of speed it on up there. So if you miss, you can always do that. But, uh, but either way, come on, uh, I, I'm really excited about this, this series. We've been looking forward to it for quite a while. But a couple things before we get into today's, today's message. Um, this is the third Sunday of the month, which means it is Next, cla- uh, Next Steps Class Sunday. So if you're new to Northwood Church, uh, you've been kind of kicking the tires, and you'd like to know more about the church, or you'd like to get involved in the church, this is the class for you. Um, immediately following this service, if you would exit right here on the left side of the auditorium and take an immediate left, the Next Steps classroom is right there. I'd love to meet you and get to share about 45 minutes or so with you, uh, kind of the life of the church, who we are, what we're doing, and how you could be a part. Um, it's, and it is kind of the merge lane. Some people are like, how can I get involved? Next Steps class. How can I understand more about the church, next steps class, you know? Um, And so I'd love to meet you and and get to know you. By the way, if you have kids in the kids ministry, uh, you can go ahead and leave them in there. We'll take care of them, give them some snacks, and they're probably having more fun than they would have with you anyway. And so we're we're gonna hang out a little bit longer with them, and we'll have them ready at the end of the class. And so, so with that also, uh, one other thing is this. This year, we are starting our fourth location in Ocean Springs, and uh, I want to keep that before you because we're gearing up for that launch, and our small groups actually just started last week in Ocean Springs, and uh, there was over 30 people at the small group. Come on, yeah. Good time. And so we're ramping up. We're excited about it. Um, And so for all of us here... Um, you, maybe some of you are like, hey, I'm not going to be going to Ocean Springs, but, but as a church, we're all going. And so how can I be a part of helping Ocean Springs launch and, and all that? Well, number one, I mean, this isn't a cliche thing that I'm about to say. I sincerely mean this. You can pray. You can pray. Uh, so we believe that as the kingdom of God advances, come on, we're in a war, right? Now, we've already won. We know that. But at the same time, man, we are in a war, and we need the Holy Spirit to go before us, and we are dependent upon that. And so I sincerely would ask you to continue to pray over this launch, to pray over Pastor Stephen. Uh, Stephen Afazio, he's, him, and, him and his family are, are leading that, that location, to pray over him and his family. There's a lot that goes into starting a church, okay? And that's what's really going on. We are, we're expanding. We're having another kid. Come on. And um, <laughs> so in that, man, I want you to pray. Also, if you'd like to support financially, uh, you can also do that to go above and beyond what it is that you already uh, give here at Northwood Church, uh, because y'all, it takes money also to do this. And so we need prayer, and we also want to continue to advance financially in that. You can go to northwood.church/oceansprings in order to uh, to do that as well, and to find out any other information. Also, if you know some people in the area, keep spreading the word. Keep spreading the word. It, you know, marketing and all that kind of good stuff is going to continue to ramp up as we get closer to the uh, to the August service launch. But as far as the church, man, it's we're having small groups. The church has already started. You know what I'm talking about? The church has has already begun, and so we're excited about it. So just kind of want to give you a quick update on that before we get in, get into today's message, which I am extremely excited to be able to share with you today. Um, uh, we've been talking about you know what do you believe and Honestly, this message series is really just us talking through our statement of faith, through our beliefs. By the way, you can go read our beliefs, northwood.church slash beliefs, and, and they're listed there. And so we're sort of talking through those over the next four months. We're talking about what do you believe and what do we believe about God 
This month, we're talking about what do we believe about Jesus next month? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit in, uh, in April? And then also in May, we're going to be talking about what do you believe about the church? And so God, Jesus, Spirit, and church uh, for the next four months. And I'm extremely excited about it. And, and, and here's kind of the thing that we're doing. Everything sort of builds. It, it kind of builds on the previous week. And especially these first two or three weeks, when we talk about God, there's, there's a building in the questions that we ask about what do you believe about God? And at times in our culture, you know, we throw around this word belief. Well, I believe this. Well, I, we almost say believe and talk about it with like, I, well, I think this. But we say, I believe. And we use this word nonchalantly whenever the word belief, believe is such a powerful word. It's basically saying I'm putting all of myself, my belief, my belief system, my structure that I'm living my life by, I'm putting myself in this category. So like, like when somebody says, I believe in God, that's actually a big statement. When somebody says, I believe in Jesus, I, that's even a bigger statement, all right? Like the, it, it's progressive. And we talked about this the first week when it comes um, to the question of what do you believe about God? We said the first question that you have to answer is, does God exist? And so we move through that from more of an apologetic mindset, asking certain questions, uh, not assuming everything. Come on, Christians, sometimes we're very, uh, we, we assume certain things. Somebody doesn't, we ask somebody if they believe in Jesus, we're not thinking about the other 50 questions that go along with that one question. And, uh, and then at times we don't even know how we, like why we believe what we believe. And I, I think the church, come on, we should know, we should be able to give a reason for why we believe what we believe, right? And uh, I think that we can. I think that we can walk methodically through, um, through these conversations and be equipped in order to give reason for why we believe what we believe. So um, our mission statement here at Northwood Church, which I've mentioned each week, is very important. We exist to help people know God. And it's a broad statement because it is a broad situation. It's a broad, broad conversation. But we exist to help people know God. And this month, we're wanting to help people know God. First step, does God exist? Over the next uh, last week, this week, and next week, we'll talk about if he does exist, which we believe that he does, uh, given the evidence that we even see. We, the next question would be, what is God like? What is his nature like? What is, what is his characteristics? How does he describe himself the first week in March, I'm sorry, in, uh, yeah, in March, we're going to be discussing the Bible and the reliability of the Bible, but we lean into the Word of God as truth for us as believers, and so we believe that the Word of God is literally that, the Word of God, and therefore, it's, it's Him communicating to us who He is, and so we want to study that and know who does God say that He is. So again, does God exist if he does exist, then what is he like? And today we're gonna continue in that. Now, two things I wanna talk about before we get into the exact attributes of God is I really wanna establish this. Number one is that we have to understand God in context. God in context to who he says that he is. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of different attributes of God. There's a lot of different characteristics of God. And the thing is, is that if we remove one of them because we don't like that one, then we have literally destabilized who God is, and now we don't really believe in the God of the Bible. We're beginning to believe in our own structure or our own God, and we ha that's why we have to understand God in context. And so, um, again, we're going to be using a lot of material from Norman Geisler, who was a, a, a theologian. He just passed away this past year, and um, but there's a lot of things, the way that he moves through this, this content that I think is going to be really helpful for us. And so this is what he says when, in, this, uh, in this conversation. God can be absolutely one and still have many attributes in the same way that the radii of the circle are one at the center and many at the circumference. And you're like, wait, what? What does that mean? Well, I brought this incredible illustration for you. It's a high-tech graphic that it's going to take you a long time to really process through. And so would you guys go ahead and put that up for us? There you go. Super complicated, right? <laughs> so what do you have here? You have a circle, 
and you have these lines that come from the center, and at the edge of this circle, you have these words, righteous, jealous, wrath, mercy, love, holy. And these are attributes of God, but at the center where they all intersect, that is who God is. That, that, is, that, that is him. Now, there's more than just these, but these six are the ones that we're going to lean into over the next two weeks. And this is what happens with, with this, and this is what happens in our society is there some people who really, really love to talk about the love and the mercy of God. Like those attributes, man, they, they love those. But whenever you begin to look at these other ones like wrath and you know, jealous and righteous and all these other terms, at times that can become a little bit uncomfortable. And so therefore some people will just sort of negate all of these other attributes because they really like this one. What we're gonna learn is that if you, if you remove one of these, you have destabilized who God is. You no longer, again, you're no longer talking about the God of the Bible. You're talking about your own you know, makeup or, or something that you like. And we're gonna see the beauty in all of these perfections, these moral perfections that God is, who he is, that they are perfect, they are good, and they are necessary. And we've got to understand them as those things and not, not lessen them, not move one to the back of the room so nobody talks about that one. No, let's bring it to the forefront because the Bible does. So let's talk about who God is. One other picture I want you to have in your mind uh, whenever you're talking about how we describe God as this. Imagine that we brought an elephant out of the, uh, out of the backstage here. We just, that would, there's not a lot of room back there, so I'm not sure. Just we craned them up here. I don't know. But we have an elephant on the stage. And we took three people before we did that. We, we brought them in the back room. And um, you know, then we blindfold them. And we bring them out one at a time. And we say, hey, we want you to walk up to this thing. And we want you to, to feel it and describe what it is that you feel like this is. And you know, imagine one guy walking up and, and he starts like touching the ear. And then he's like, well, it's kind of flappy and uh, like leathery and, and I don't know what, I'm not really quite sure what this thing is. You know, then another one comes out and starts like touching the leg, you know, feeling the leg. And it's like, man, it's, just, it's strong. It's like a tree. You know what I'm saying? They start describing that. And then, you know, maybe one walks up to the tail and just like, it's like a ropey type thing with hair on the bottom. You know, it smells weird. You know, it's like, you know, but they would all be describing and they would, might come to a conclusion that would more than likely be incomplete because they, they, they're describing one part of this giant creature. And so what happens is a lot of people describe one part of God, the part that they feel like they understand most because of their experience or whatever it is, and they start describing God. And have you ever been talking to somebody and they start talking about who God is and you're sitting there going, wait, man, you're totally missing it. Or you're missing this other part that actually, you know, some people, I can never serve a God that's angry. you you don't really understand in context what that actually means. And and, well, I I love God. He's so loving. And because of that, I can do whatever I want, right? Like I'm kind of speaking in extremes, but you guys get what I'm saying. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. We've got to have an understanding of all of these things and how they come together and actually form who God is, who God is. And so with that in our minds, uh, let's kind of move forward. The second thought that I want to establish is that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And this means that we, we have the capacity and I believe the responsibility to bear the image of God and reflect who he is to the world, to other people. Like we have this, this capacity to do so, and we also have the responsibility to do so. And uh, in Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So we know that we are image bearers of God. And I want to read this as well. The Lexham Bible Dictionary in regards to this this topic of bearing the image of God says, bearing the image of God distinguishes humankind from the animal and plant kingdoms, elevates humankind above all terrestrial created things so as to exercise benevolent and ethical stewardship over creation. Guys, we're, we're different than the animals, all right? We are more important than the animals as well, okay? We are image bearers of God. And that should affect our thinking of ourselves. That should also affect the way that we treat and, and view other people, right? 
it, it really has a lot of implications upon the way that we live our lives. And so um, the ability to bear and reflect God's image has been corrupted by sin. And each week that we talk, the word sin is going to make an appearance in some way, shape, or form, you know, as well as Jesus, because he overcomes sin. But at the same time, we've got to realize that there's this, there's this way that we were, cre- we were created to act and created to be. And then there's this thing that has entered in that has marred and corrupted our ability to be that. And that's really where the gospel comes into play. But uh, with these two thoughts, let's sort of enter into this conversation about who God is. We're going to talk about three different characteristics of God and how, those, um, how, how God desires those characteristics to be restored in our lives and for us to reflect those to the world around us. And the reason that we want to reflect those to the world around us is for our good and for his glory. For our good and his glory. Did you know that it's good to live in a way that reflects the image of God? It's good for us, but it also is, uh, it glorifies God. So let's start moving through this. Number one, the first thing, the first attribute we, attribute we want to talk about is that God is holy. God is holy. That means that he is set apart. He is distinct. He is unique. He is set apart. Also, it means that he is separated from sin or impurity. Okay, it's, it's kind of two different thoughts when it comes to the holiness of God. Number one is that uh, God is holy in that he is transcendent. Okay, we've talked really over the last two weeks a lot about this, how God is transcendent. He is above and beyond creation, space, time, matter, energy. God is, is, he is the instigator of all of it. So he's the creator of all of it. And he is outside of those things. He is more prominent than anything that we know or see. So he is, he's infinite. He's absolutely perfect in his being in his essence, in his existence. He is all of these things. He's perfect. So that's sort of one, one side of it. Now, when it comes to that side of it, we cannot be any of those things. <laughs> you will not ever be absolutely perfect like God. You will never be holy in that sense, infinite like God is. It, it, there's a break between where we are, where he is, okay? So, but when it comes to the second thing, Uh, of God's holiness. It's that God is also morally perfect because he is holy and absolutely perfect morally. Now with moral perfection, morality, this side of the, the coin, this is something that we actually have some skin in the game with. This is something that we are called to be. So morally, God is impeccable, flawless, excellent, complete, and blameless. God is literally the example of what it means to be morally perfect. He is the standard setter of it. None of us in this room are that. None of us, all right? In the same way that there is one type of perfect circle, okay, the perfect circle, and if there is any variation in that perfect circle, it is no longer a perfect circle. Therefore, it is not the standard of what a perfect circle is any longer. And in the same way that God is morally perfect, he sets the tone, he sets the template for what it looks like, and there is nothing in him that is not accurate or true or good or perfect, right? He, because he's perfect. So if God is finite, I mean infinite, unchangeable and necessary, which we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, um, and if God is also morally perfect, then we know that God is infinitely, unchangeably, and necessarily morally perfect. All of these, all of these weeks, again, they build, and, and all of them support each other as we go along. And so if we couldn't talk about how God exists, then we can't talk about how he is perfect and holy and all of these other things, right? But at the same time, if he's not morally perfect, then he is no longer the standard setter for morality, which now opens up a whole other conversation about who then is the standard of morality, who is creating the template, right? Who, who? All of these questions, uh, if they're not answered properly or in a certain sequence, they begin to kind of get messed with. You know, and a lot of times we can, as people, there are certain things that we can give on and we can compromise on, or maybe we can meet in the middle on. But there's some things that if you begin to mess and tinker with it, it actually begins to affect everything else. And this would be one of those things where somebody say, well, I don't, just don't believe that God is perfect. Well, we gotta have a conversation about that. Let's work through that, right? So, so God, God is holy. Now, God's holiness is intrinsic to him and extrinsic to creation. 
Basically, his holiness comes from within himself. There's not something else that has like, transferred holiness to him. It is who he is. God is holy. And so we are not naturally from within ourselves holy. We are holy, made holy from, from something else, right? And we'll kind of flesh through this here in a second. But it's important that we also understand that because if not, if we don't have the right understanding of that, humans, I don't know, we just have this ability to do this. We begin to think in some way, shape, or form that we are creators of things rather than reflectors of whatever God is, right? So like we become the creator, the creator. There's elevation of who we are. Humanism is so subtle. It's so subtle, but it seeps its way into the way that we live our lives. Even as Christians, we are reflectors of the one who is perfect. We are not ourselves perfect, okay? So Isaiah 6.3 And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, full full of his glory, which I think is an important phrase. His glory, not its own glory, right? Like creation doesn't have its own glory that it's expressing. It's God's glory that it's it's pointing to and and describing. But even that word glory at times, come on, y'all, if you grew up in church, glory, right? How you doing, man? How was your week? Glory, (laughs) You went to a place called glory? I'm not really quite sure. Wait, we, we could, Christianese, we start speaking Christianese, and it's like, what did you mean by that, and what does that represent? And some people say that in a, in a pure sense, so I'm not like just making fun of everybody that says glory. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a word. Come on, y'all. But at the same time, it's like kind of like belief. Are we actually thinking about what we're talking about? So glory is the infinite beauty and greatness of his multifaceted perfections. Wow. It's the infinite beauty and the greatness of who God is, the sum of all that he is, like that center point, the glory of God. And the earth is full of that. He's infinite, he's perfect, he's unique, he's holy. His glory is is strong and heavy and deserves honor. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Exodus 15, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who? No one. Nothing comes close. Nothing can compete. Because God is holy, everything about God is holy. Everything about him is pure. So that means that anything that is unholy is not allowed in his presence. Many of you have probably studied in the Old Testament about the tabernacle, and there was like this progression that the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, you had to be purified and sanctified to a certain degree, and there was only certain people that could go into this certain place, and if you went in improperly, you died. You died. And why? Because God's holiness, his perfection, cannot mix with imperfection. It's, it's incompatible. And so as people, this has direct implications on our life. We're going to talk in a second about how we, just as people, can approach God's holiness and who he is and, and, and you know, be righteous and all of these things. But I want to talk to the believers in the room. I want to talk to those of you who say you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Because this concept of holiness is one that we must keep aware and keep at the forefront of our lives. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who tend to swing to one end of the spectrum or the other. Like there's some people who live in legalism and everything's like a rule and a standard and they're applying that to everybody's life and it's like, it's annoying, right? There's spiritual pride all wrapped up in it and it's standard, we are to be holy. And then there's others who are way over here on this side, and it's like, God's grace, man, he is good, you know? So therefore, it doesn't matter what we do, right? Like, I could just live however I want. Both of which are wrong. 
errors, okay? There's extreme. One of them's called legalism. One of them's called antinomianism. It's, it's just this, this gap. And there's this middle ground where we fully rest in and believe in the grace of God. But at the same time, we're fully uh, 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 motivated by that grace and that love to live holy, Meaning that as believers, we organize who we are according to who God wants us and desires us to be, not the other way around. We don't organize God to fit us. So what's a few examples of that? One massive one would be just sexuality, that we don't define what is sexually moral. We don't have the authority, the power to do that. God has already defined that. And so therefore, it's we might be flipping and flopping on all over the place in, in our, our thinking and situations that we encounter, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day, we're called to live holy. And what does that mean? It means that we don't live in sexual immorality. And in the church, it happens. Like if you're married, that's the person who you have sex with, nobody else. Like, <laughs> make it simple, okay? <laughs> Let me define that. And you, you don't have sex with anybody you're not married to. Why? That's not me saying that. It's the word of God that says it. It's, it's God setting the standard for what that looks like. Now, I'm just cutting through kind of the conversation to just the point of it because today's not a message on sexual immorality, but it is true, right? In the same way, when it comes to anger, oh man, we got tempers, right? Everybody's got temper. I just, I'm, I'm stressed right now, you know? So I hauled off and just like, you know, demoralized that person. At what point is that just like not just stress, but it's called sin, right? Well, I just, I'm under a lot of pressure right now. No, you're under a lot of sin right now. You know, like, like, just, let's just call it what it is. People who represent Christ saying things to people that if you didn't know that they went to church, you would never put them in the same category as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You never, they wouldn't even come close. Why? Because they aren't reflecting the nature of God. Lying. Just straight up telling the truth, y'all, is a lost art in people's lives nowadays. I'm like, you know, you know, they say there's three sides to every story. There's the, the one side over here, the one side over here, and then there's the truth. You know, man, how great would it be to be in, in a community, and uh, for the most part, I think we are, by the way, but, but to be in a community where, like, what you said is the most accurate rendition of what happened that you are physically and mentally capable of bringing to the, even if it makes you look like a jerk, right? I, I did it, I, that was me, it's on me. Not, well, I wouldn't have done it if they wouldn't have, like, what are we, like seven? You know what I'm saying? Like, I do that with my eight-year-old, y'all. Like, let's not do that as Bible-believing people who are called as God has called us to be holy, set apart. We, our lives should look different than people who don't know God right? Do y'all agree with that? I'm, I'm talking to the Christians right now. We're called to that. We're called to that. Be holy as I am holy. That's what God has spoken to us. And so that's what it means for us to be holy, that our conduct would be different, that as we draw closer to who God is, to his holiness, that it would expose things in our hearts that it would expose things in our mindset and in our thinking that then we would, what the Bible calls, repent from. Repent from. Why? Because God's holiness is the standard, number one, for us to imitate. That's the standard, not what I think or you think. God's holiness, that's the standard. And the next thing is because God's holiness, um, God, I'm sorry, the next thing is that God is glorified through us when we live holy lives. So the point is that God would be lifted up and glorified, and God is most glorified when we are satisfied in him and when it, we also live lives that elevate him, that, 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 that point to him. Even whenever you make a mistake, you know that God can be glorified in your mistake? It's an amazing thing if you ask for forgiveness, what can happen in a relationship and how you are able to point somebody to Jesus in that moment. It's an amazing thing. We're called to be holy. All right, number two, God is jealous. He's jealous. And now this is a statement that a lot of us don't use a lot when we, anything having to do with Christianity because jealousy is wrong. We're not, we're not supposed to be jealous. But we read in the Bible that God is jealous. He's jealous. And the, and the amazing thing is that God, because he is perfect, he is perfect in his jealousy. Now, I'll give you an example of what good jealousy might look like. 
So I've been married for 14 years, almost 14 years, and me and my wife are jealous of one another, not in the sense of what we have, because we have the same things, because we're married, right? But in regards to our affection for one another and the fact that we belong to one another. So if somebody else shows up and wants to step, you know, step in on, on, on that and, and mess with that, I'm gonna have something to say about it, right? And I would be totally justified in doing so, right? If they don't listen to what I gotta say, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I got two small fists and they're, uh, <laughs> no, if they don't, I'm going to call the cops. I don't know, but <laughs> I can run real fast. But uh, <laughs> so in that, but you, you see that you're like, man, you're totally justified in that. Why? Cause that's my wife and I'm her, her husband. And we are to be jealous of one another. That is justified and good. And so in regards to jealousy, there's some things that solely belong to God and he deserves it because it's who he is and he deserves the, the result of, of, because of who he is, he, he deserves the, the honor and the glory and the praise. So therefore he is justified in desiring these things. And so again, I wanna read what Norman Geisler, how he kind of lays this out. He says, God is unique and supreme. He's also holy, loving, and morally perfect. He is then uniquely and supremely these things. Whatever is uniquely and supremely holy, loving, and perfect is to be preserved with the utmost zeal. Because of who God is, he is to be lifted up and preserved in that place of honor and glory because he deserves it just by the very fact of his uniqueness and his supremeness. Right, So because of that, anything that seeks to elevate itself up to that level or to supersede him needs to be brought low. And God, that's who he is. He is going to diminish or extinguish anything that would seek to find itself above him or even trying to be equal with him. And he is completely justified in doing so. That's why in Exodus, it says, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God's jealousy shows us that nothing should come before our worship of God. Nothing should compete, should try to work its way in on and steal any of, of, of our devotion, of our affection, of our worship, it should not be stolen or, or distracted from God. A lot of you might say, man, God's number one in my life, right? He's number one. And, and I wonder what that looks like in all of our lives. What does it look like for God to be number one in your life? And what things try to come in in order to displace him as number one or as the center of our life? Because it's a real situation. We have things that try to work their way in in order to, to, to remove our focus and our affection from them. I'll give you an example of what idolatry might look like in our lives. Money. Money in and of itself is not bad. Somebody that has a lot of money does not mean that they're going to hell, okay? <laughs> like Money in and of itself, it's neutral. The love of money, however, is what is the root of all evil. The love of money, the greed. So, so in your pursuit of success, you've got to be very aware of the danger of causing that pursuit to become something that's really an idol in your life. One of the ways that you know that it would be is that if at any moment in your pursuit of, of growing your business or growing in, in your company or in your, um, uh, in your job, if you would would compromise a biblical standard or belief or conviction that you have, that, that would be sinful, right? That you would compromise that in order to advance. At that point, you have now elevated that success or that, that seeking of that success above what it is that God desires for you to do. And at that point, you have now entered into a place where it has become an idol in your life, that you are willing to put aside God's desires for you, your affections for him, your devotion to him and who he's called you to be. And you're willing to demote that in order to promote something else that is displeasing to him. It's a great way of knowing if you have idolized something. Silence. Why? Because every single one of us at some point know there was a moment, there was a thought, there was a motive 
where we actually elevated that above what it was that God had for us. Maybe it was climbing over somebody in the ladder of success and you bent the truth. You know, you, you, you kind of rewrote that document a certain way to sort of, and you know that it was unethical, but you know, it had to be done, right? Come on, guys. Let's not let, let's not let anything like that into our lives. In, let, let's not get all weird. Let's be holy. Let's be separate. Number three, God is righteous. Basically, he is without iniquity. He is just. He is right. Because again, it's who he is. Norman Geisler says this, God is a moral being. God is a perfect being. Hence, God is a morally perfect being. One characteristic of being moral is being righteous. Therefore, God is a perfectly righteous being. Now, God is not defined or determined to be righteous by the term righteousness. He defines and determines what righteousness is, right? It's not like we, oh, this, these are all the things that righteousness is, and therefore, I'm going to some sort of kind of way make God out to be that. No, like who he is is that, and he's defining what right is, what wrong is, what justice is, because it's who he is. He sets the standard in much the same way that we talked about holiness, So God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard for what is right. Isaiah 45, 19, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Deuteronomy 34, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright or righteous is he. It's who he is. He is just and righteous. Now, righteousness and justice are are very related. Actually, a lot of these words that we're using, they're they're related, they're connected. Some of it's because simply (laughs) you can't take one piece of God away from the other. It destabilizes the whole thing, but also because the terms themselves, they're interdependent upon each other. And so righteousness and holiness and justice, justice and righteousness, especially in this context, are so related to one another. They're basically, uh, they come from the same word group in the Hebrew. And, And so because of God's righteousness and justice, It's imperative based upon his nature and who he is that he treats people according to to the standard of right and justness. And because of that, he must punish sin. His righteousness requires it. Like, he would be unjust if he didn't judge sin. It's not, why is God judgmental? It's because of his righteousness. And if he did not do it and he did not take care or judge or deal with or punish sin, then he would actually be unjust and unrighteous. If God didn't punish sin, he would be an unjust judge because sin deserves what? The wages of sin is what? Death. Wayne Grudem lays out this thought in a way that I think should change some of our perspective of this conversation in regards to God's righteousness and, 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 and his judgment. Nevertheless, it should be a cause for thanksgiving and gratitude when we realize that righteousness and omnipotence, all power, are both possessed by God. We talked about omnipotence last week. If he were a God of perfect righteousness without power to carry out that righteousness, he would not be worthy of worship and we would have no guarantee that justice will ultimately prevail in the universe. Why? Because then there would be a sliding scale of justice. There's no confidence in that. What if one day it was, it was wrong to murder and the next day it wasn't? That's a confusing place to live, right? But if he were a God of ultimate, unlimited power, yet without righteousness in his character, how unthinkably horrible the universe would be. There would be unrighteousness at the center of all existence, and there would be nothing anyone could do to change it. Existence would become meaningless, and we would be driven to the most utter despair. We, thought, uh, we ought, therefore, continually to thank and praise God for who he is, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and right is he.
You see the beauty in this? Is it starting to come into focus for you? You start seeing the balance and the necessity for all of these components of God's, uh, all of his attributes to be in play at one time. What does this mean for us? Well, as a moral attribute of God, righteousness can be possessed by us. Okay, we have, there's an open door to, to being righteous, okay? And, and so the Bible actually talks a lot about this, and, and I want to read all the things that the Bible says we should do with righteousness. We should be instructed in righteousness, seek righteousness, pursue, thirst after, suffer for, submit to, be slaves of, and practice righteousness, We should live as righteous people. We should live and operate and our actions should be holy and they should be righteous. They really should. So the question is, how do we become righteous? Like, do we just like, you know, strain really hard? (laughs) I am righteous. Do we just yell it out like, I'm righteous? Like, what, what do we do to become righteous? What do we do? Well, The big thought here is that since God alone is righteous, he is the only one who has the power and authority to declare someone as righteous and as justified. So once again, we find ourselves completely submitted and surrendered and in need of, dependent upon God, even for our righteousness. There's actually nothing you can do to become righteous. God, we see, has to declare someone as righteous. It's sort of like if you were in a courtroom, you're sitting there, and, uh, you know, there's somebody on trial and somebody in the courtroom, in the crowd just stands up randomly and says, I declare this person as not guilty, innocent. Everybody stops and looks weird at this weird person, you know, and somebody tackles them at some point and arrests them for contempt of court because that's just out of line. Why? Because that person, whoever that is, has no authority in that courtroom and actually doesn't have the authority to d- declare anybody as innocent or guilty. There's a person standing up at the front or sitting up at the front with a gavel called the judge. And that's the person who has the full authority in that courtroom. And in the same way, God has all authority to, to judge and to also declare someone as innocent or as guilty. So God actually justifies or declares us as people, as sinners, Biblically speaking, he declares us as righteous, which really makes no sense because we don't deserve it. There's nothing that you have done that has at some point deserved God's mercy and his grace. You haven't done anything. That's what just removes all the power and all the ability for us to to attain some level of right standing to to where then we can earn righteousness. It doesn't exist. It's not there. God is so far above. His standard is so far above. We need something to fill the gap. And that's why this next phrase is so important. God declares us as righteous, as just, through Jesus being condemned. This is one of the key components of the gospel, y'all, is that God declares us as righteous, even though we're not, through Jesus being condemned. He's saying something, declaring something over us that that we are not. (laughs) But it's because he placed all of that condemnation and that pain to bear the weight of sin upon Jesus for us. We deserved it. Until you can actually admit and believe and know that you actually deserve the penalty for sin, you won't understand and see the beauty of what God did by placing it upon his only son. This is the gospel. Jesus was condemned so that we don't have to be. And we are made righteous, we are declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. Romans 3 says this, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Now that word, a lot of people don't like this word or kind of what it means to a certain extent. It literally means as the one who satisfied the anger of God, the wrath of God. All of God's wrath was carried out on Jesus, he satisfied the anger of uh, the, the wrath of God. He appeased the wrath of God. 
That's why we can't appease the wrath of God. It's been done through Jesus. By his blood. Did this to be, to be received by faith, this, uh, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The one who has faith in Jesus. Guys, look, when it comes to righteousness, I want you to picture putting on righteousness. You put on the righteousness of Jesus. You, 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 it covers you. Is all the mess still there? Yeah. But we are covered in righteousness. He justifies us who have faith in Jesus. I want to close with this scripture. Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith from start to finish, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We live by faith. Now, faith, it's it's a substance. It's something, right? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But I want you to also picture faith as a conduit for salvation in your life. Faith is a conduit. Faith transfers our sin to Jesus and transfers his righteousness to us. It's a miracle. And for some people, it's like that sounds a little bit too elementary or too simple. It's very simple for us, but it was not very simple for Jesus, right? Freedom doesn't just happen. There was a price that was paid for that freedom. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. This is the the gospel. This is the message. This is what everything that we do revolves around is this right here. And now I believe this with all of my heart that in this room, there are those of you that you might have a bunch of questions. You might have a bunch of thoughts, but, but cutting through all of those thoughts is truth. And it's getting to a part of your heart that, that you're, you're having trouble walking away from this truth. It's something that is stirring something deep down inside of you. And this is what I believe. I believe that that is God calling you out. God saying that, that look, at, look at all the things that I've done for you because I love you and I see you and I know you and I am personally involved in your life, but I want to be the Lord of your life. You see, Jesus, by faith, we receive salvation and in that, He becomes Lord and he becomes savior of our life. Not one or the other, both and. He's Lord. We organize our life underneath everything that he is and what his standards are for us, motivated out of love because he's our savior. And in that, I wanna make sure that everybody in this place has a a moment, an opportunity to respond to the call of God that's coming to you right now. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you and you're far from God, or maybe you've, you've come in this place today and You've had this understanding of God. Maybe you, maybe you were serving God years ago, but you know at this moment that you're just not where you need to be and you wanna surrender your life, submit yourself to him, reconnect, whatever you would wanna refer to that as. I believe that there's a bunch of people in this place today that are in that category. I'm gonna say a prayer. You don't have to say exactly what I say, but, but express your heart to your God. Say, God, I surrender to you right now. I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of my understanding. I'm at the end of my ability to to do all the right things. And now I realize that I I never had the capacity to do it in and of myself in the first place. And right now I surrender to you. I submit my effort. I submit my trust. I submit everything that I am. I place it at your feet. And God, I ask you to, to change me. God, to heal me of my brokenness, which is sin. To restore my heart. God, that I could hear you and I could know you. I could could draw close to you in your holiness and in your righteousness that I could come boldly to your throne of grace. Right now, God, I surrender all that I am. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the cross, for the blood that was shed for my sin to pay the price for me so that I could stand in victory and in boldness, not in condemnation. God, I repent, I turn to you and I thank you for the life that you've given me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Can we give God some praise in the house this morning? And it's been a great morning, hasn't it? Man, I'm just encouraged. I loved just this message this morning, and I hope you have as well. Hey, guys, my name is Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport location, and I just want to celebrate with those of you who maybe just prayed that prayer with Pastor Jordan, and it's like, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm taking that step of faith. I, I, I want and I need him in my life. Um, man, it's an awesome thing to, uh, to enter into a relationship with Christ, and here's the thing, though. I know that you may not know what that all entails, and what that all means, and we totally get that. And what we want to do is, if you've taken that step of faith, um, we want to actually partner with you and and help you understand what it is that that this life of following and living with Jesus is all about. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. That what's next card that Pastor Jordan mentioned back at the beginning of the service. If you could just fill that out really quick and uh, just turn it in at, at the end of the service here. What I want to do is just, I just want to reach out to you this week and connect with you. And there's actually a really special video that uh, Pastor Jordan made for you as well. I just want to get that into your hands and just want to help you take your next step and help you connect to this new family that you're now a part of. So here's two ways you can uh, turn in that card, either at the Next Steps area, which is this blue banner right in the back here. We got a great couple back there who would love to meet you and they get a little gift for you as well. And um, so you can turn it in back there or you can turn it in at any one of the white buckets that are at each door as you leave. Same thing for those of you who are maybe new to Northwood, you've been here a few weeks or this is your first Sunday here. Same thing with that card, turn it in right back there at the Next Steps area or drop it in a bucket as you leave. So hey, Northwood family, can we just give it up again for those folks who made decisions this morning? Also, if uh, maybe you brought something in with you this morning that's just weighing heavy in on your life and you just like, man, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what to do with this kind of stuff. We got some amazing folks who are going to be up here at the front. It's our prayer team. Uh, They're just some wonderful individuals that we trust. Everything you tell them is confidential and they're just going to be up here right at the the platform as you leave. So if there's anything that's kind of weighing on you that you want someone just to agree with you in prayer over, just make your way up to the front as soon as we dismiss. And then also, so as, as part of an uh, act of worship, just continuing to worship our, our King and to give of our time and our energy and our resources, I wanted also reemphasize that uh, there's four ways to give, and uh, they're on the screen behind me, so uh, make yourself available to that. Uh, go ahead and stand up. We're going to get ready to go. NC Men, we got something exciting coming up here in a few weeks. We're going to actually be having a guy's camp out. So uh, whether you're like an outdoorsy kind of guy or you're totally not an outdoorsy guy, it's cool. Go buy yourself some camo or a pocket knife and come out and join us. It's going to be great. We're going to be uh, hanging out around a fire, making some s'mores. I want maybe like cooking some meat. I don't know. Just do guy stuff. It's going to be great. So the, all the info's on the screen behind me for that. Um, also, we got other things going on around here at Northwood. Um, if you want to know more about that, just pick up one of our info guides as you walk out. They're in stands in the lobbies. Or you can check out northwood.church slash events. So that's all we got for you this morning. Have a great afternoon. Maybe catch a nap in this rainy weather. That's what I'm doing. Hey, we'll see you guys next week.